pandemic, social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to the John DePietro Show. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. It is Thursday, and we have big news. It has finally happened. Governor McKee, they have announced Dr. Alexander Nicole Scott, they don't even have her name right in the press release, stepping down as the Rhode Island Department of Health. Governor McKee is announcing he has regretfully accepted her resignation. Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott, stepping down, resignation, Department of Health. For the next two weeks, she'll continue to serve while the governor conducts a search for new leadership. Um, Now, folks, this comes on the heels of a complete failure by the Department of Health and what's happening today with the fact that that the federal government needs to send in. This is major. You know, you've heard me and Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe talk about, you know, her and um, Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott. Again, I want to repeat, this is breaking news and it's major, but she's she's falling on the sword. Um, it's either she's at fault or McKee people are at fault. But... She is stepping down Department of Health. This comes on today, uh, and, and just a, in the last half hour, President Biden announced that Rhode Island is one of six states that they have to send medical workers to. Rhode Island is. And that's the, we're the only state in New England. Now, yesterday, Governor McKee was asked about it. There's been a lot of tension between the two of them. But this is a disaster. This is a disaster for Governor McKee. Listen, they, she's an activist. If he was going to make this move, it should have been made last July or August in the summertime when things had calmed down. So, but she, she of course, you know, rose to prominence in uh, February, March, as she would be with Governor Mundo on the stage and uh, everyone got to know her, but she was definitely an activist. How about the Rhode Island Senate appointed her to a new five-year term last year? And up until now, she continued to lead under Governor uh, Dan McKee. But in recent months, it's been a lot of tension between McKee and Dr. Scott over masking policies, how to handle the latest waves of the pandemic. Um, she was there yesterday for the news conference laying out the latest steps, but this is major. Now, I want to wait and see exactly, and for several reasons, folks. She has been there uh, from the beginning. She's also a female. She's also a female of color. And... And this is, uh, this is really, really amazing now that, that in the midst right now of everything going on, this, you know, and, and so she, she resigned. It, it did come to a head. It came to a boiling point. This was, um, he, he could have seen this coming. This falls on the governor. Now, he may be forcing her out, and he may be getting, uh, they say in two weeks, but they're immediately going to appoint someone in there if they don't already. Uh, but this, make no mistake about it. Now, Rhode Island, we're the only state, that was President Biden that announced, there's only six states that the federal government has to send in nursing staffs to. And Rhode Island's the only New England state. They're not doing it in Connecticut. They're not doing it in Massachusetts. They're not doing it in New Hampshire. They're not doing it in Maine. And they're not doing it in Vermont. Rhode Island's the only one. And then, you know, the federal government, Biden is sending teams, medical professionals, military medical to New York, New Jersey, Ohio. Um, but it is, uh, that, that is really big news. And, and I'll say this, look at how, I mean, she was there yesterday, but there's been conflict. Governor McKee likes to have the big team. I, I will say this. So, all right, so he got her to resign and he is forcing her out. And I'm not even saying that's a bad thing, but the timing of this in the middle of the pandemic, she has a lot of fans within the media. She has a lot of fans with um, w- within the medical community. This this is major. Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott, again, has resigned from the Department of Health. This is actually the national news that she is doing this. Today, press release just went out. So today, 
President Biden announced that Rhode Island's one of only six states that they have to send medical workers to. Because now, again, maybe it was her plan to do the forced mandate. Maybe it was her plan to do this thing all along. But he he's the ultimate, ultimately, it's his show. He's the governor. You know, where's the buck, buck stop? The buck stop's here. So, but they have not got along. And as I have said in the past, she has been somewhat in, it's all been about equity. I'm not going to knock her. She's leaving. Listen, the results speak for themselves. Right now, as you're listening to the John DePietro show on this Thursday, anyone that thinks that she has done a good job, look where we are right now. We're the only New England state that the federal government has to send in medical workers to work Rhode Island Hospital. That, that was her responsibility. So whether it's her or her and the McKee people uh, or the governor himself, whatever it is, whoever's in charge, the strategy, you have to ask yourself, look at the testing fiasco we've gone through. And several things about this. Yesterday, Governor McKee had the briefing, never mentioned that within 24 hours, you know, it's also interesting because Governor McKee had his press briefing yesterday at 1030, and then President Biden spoke at 1030. So literally 24 hours later, um, the Biden people, and you wonder also if they were going to announce it in the afternoon, and that's why Governor McKee wanted to do his briefing. It was unusual he did it at 1030 yesterday. You know, one thing about the McKee people is whenever they do something that seems a little odd, there's normally something to it. And yesterday's another good example of it. So they may have got wind that the White House was going to announce this. They weren't sure when. So the White House maybe were going to announce it yesterday afternoon. But President Biden announced six states are going to be getting these medical workers, emergency. Now, President Biden is doing it as a way of like, hey, look at how I'm stepping up and helping these states. But make no mistake about it. Rhode Island is an outlier. Rhode Island is the only New England state that did not have a proper strategy how to handle the pandemic. And this latest surge, I should say. I am very anxious to hear uh, Commerce Secretary Raimondo's reaction to the news that Dr. Nicole Alexander-Scott is out at the Department of Health. Folks, and we are still, this is not even mid-January. We still have a long way to go, but uh, that there has been tremendous tension between the two. They were not on the same page. You could tell that at different times, but make no mistake about it. Like, how bad is it between the two camps? How bad is it between Dr. Nicole Alexander-Scott and Rhode Island Governor Dan McKee? She's out. She resigned. I would think last night or maybe this morning. Maybe she offered to or it, it, it could be, and I'm sure we'll find out soon enough, that he asked for her resignation. But the fact that President Biden has announced Rhode Island has, um, is one of only six states that they have to send emergency medical workers into the states there's nothing good about that for Governor McKee. And, you know, he likes to, we are at the National Guard, thank God for the National Guard and so forth. But just remember, when you're calling in the National Guard, that, that means you have a shortfall somewhere um, that you're, you know, you're railing. Now, granted, um, Governor Baker did call it out, but Governor Baker has not had to contact the White House to get an emergency staffing sent to Massachusetts hospitals. But re reporting and repeating, I should say, this is huge news. Dr. Nicole Alexander-Scott is out. The McKee people are saying she has resigned. And, and the thing is, they just upped her, as I just mentioned. She was just given, over the summer, a new five-year term that she's supposed to serve. So, listen, the real truth is she is being forced out by Governor McKee. I mean, it, as much as then, um, you know, they could say she just feels she's not on the same page. Uh, I, I think also, you know, remember, there was some, some information leaked from the Department of Health. Uh, Governor McKee has been tripping over himself, trying to say that this was a, oh, we were ramping down at Thanksgiving and the people the Department of Health were telling people that that's not the case. They were warning him that things were going up. So there's been a battle between the McKee administration. But this is a, a significant uh, resignation. Dr. Nicole Alexander-Scott, who every day in the spring of 2020 was right by the side of Governor Raimondo, and leading the state through. I'd be very anxious and curious to hear Governor Raimondo's uh, reaction to this news because, the, make no mistake about it, I don't think she's not going to be happy about it. 
And it's also, there's a lot of politics at play here. Um, she is a female and she is a female of color. And here we are, and again, reporting, repeating the big news, and there's a lot of it. Number one, President Biden announced they're sending emergency medical doctors to Rhode Island. Whew, only New England state. That's how dire things are. And the big news, Department of Health, Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott has resigned. Effective, I think, well, they're saying effective immediately, but she's going to be leaving in, uh, I think they say in two weeks, but I don't even think she'll make it that far. All right, a lot more ahead, folks. Big news on the John DePietro Show on this Thursday. Make Henry Oil your oil provider this winter. Give them a call today. Call Henry Oil, 401-521-0200, 401-521-0200. Henry Oil, serving most Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass, automatic delivery, budget plans, service contracts, lock and cap pricing. You can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today, 401-521-0200. Reliable, affordable, fuel oil delivery, fuel oil, diesel, gasoline delivery, residential and commercial. It's Henry Oil. Give them a call. Since 1947, you can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today. Make Henry Oil your oil provider. 401 521-0200-401-521-0200. Remember, online at henryoil.com. Go with the original, go with the best. It's Henry Oil. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11, we go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dePietro.com. It's time for our legal segment Joining me right now is one of Rhode Island's top legal minds and attorneys. It is attorney Tim Dodd. And Tim, the first story I want to kick off, and uh, the timing is almost a year ago, but it was last February 21. And this is something else. And I I believe we talked about it. And uh, so I was communicating with someone who claimed they were the wife of this Nicholas Alaverdian, who, by all accounts, story... I think the Providence Journal did it, and it was also in USA Today that he had faked his own death. And this guy was, he used to call into me, and then there was this string of messages. He was messaging me. I, at the time, it seemed odd on when he would be very active. It was, it was, um, it would be, it would make sense. I'll cut to it that they have now located this guy in Scotland, but it would make sense that he, he was very busy. Scotland is, I think five or six hours ahead of us. And so it would kind of make sense of, I would wake up in the morning and there'd be these slew of messages and so forth. But so Tim Dodd, it would, it seemed, and this story is all the makings of a movie. Um, as Tim Dodd knows, I, I have dealt with some pretty unusual people over the years. This guy made me nervous just because he was so whacked and a true psychopath. <laughs> and, uh, and you didn't know where he was going to be. I mean, maybe he was on Cape Cod, but it turns out, he was in, in Scotland. This this is a bizarre story of someone that the authorities were after him in Ohio. And he he started sending out these messages that he had died. He left behind a wife and two children. Um, he had this person he called, said was his wife, Louise. Had, it had a weird sound to it. Certainly sounded like someone using a voice changing machine. And, um, and then it, it's turned out now, Tim Dodd, that between COVID and then there was this other open case in, in Utah, of all places. Uh, but this this is incredible that apparently because of COVID, they have actually caught up with this Nicholas Eleverdian, who, who is alive, seemingly faked his own death, and, and has been living in Scotland. The, this story has it all, John. I mean, we did talk about this at the yeah. time. The cops were convinced from the get-go that this guy did not die, that he had faked his death. They never bought the whole um, story that they didn't even know if it was really his wife or if he had two yeah. kids. I mean, he's he's a con artist so from is. what it would appear. Um he made his mark in Rhode Island, as your listeners may recall, um, when he claimed that he had been the victim of sexual abuse or rape yeah. when he was in the foster care system, yeah. sued the state. Um, the terms of any settlement were never disclosed. One would presume he walked away with some money, but we really don't know. 
Now he goes um, around. He's in Ohio. Yep. He unlawfully obtains approximately 22 credit cards. He rings up about $200,000 in fraudulent credit card purchases. He scams another lady in Ohio for about $60,000. He goes to um, Utah and allegedly is involved in a sexual assault. There are active warrants in Utah. There are active warrants in Ohio. There are civil cases pending in Ohio. Um, he's got a lot of legal hurdles to overcome when he is extradited. Scotland is um, an extradition treaty country, so he, this guy will, when, wow. he rec- when he recovers from COVID, oh. he will be extradited, I would presume, first to Utah to face that criminal um, charge. And whether he's successful or unsuccessful, he'll then um, at some point uh, be shipped off to um, Ohio. Now, if Utah gets him first and they convict him and it's a jail case, he might have to do his jail time before he gets shipped off to Ohio to face further music. Um, You know, I'm not sure in any of these jurisdictions if faking one's death is criminal, um, one doesn't know if perhaps someone out there might have obtained, uh, well, I don't think anyone would have obtained life insurance money because you'd have to show a death certificate. And he, I okay. don't think he's got one of those. Right. But there could be other fraudulent um, allegations uh, surrounding um, the um, fraudulent report of his death. But the guy back when he was first reported missing and the story was um, circulating. He has an odd appearance. You know, the pictures that would run in the journal, one doesn't know if that's how he looked or if he was making himself look um, very different by by anyone's standard um, to throw people off. But um, he's looking at incredibly serious criminal consequences and he will be here shortly. Tim Dodd, what what are the what is the penalty for uh, faking one one's death? Now, I I think also I think they're going to determine that there is no wife. I don't think there's a wife and two children. This wife Louise, who, I, and also I I believe that Louise was the one communicating with law enforcement at one point. So that that could be maybe like some kind of an obstruction or or impersonating someone type of charge. Or an accessory, accessory, aiding, okay. aiding and abetting. Yeah, um, you know, eluding. He's eluding arrest. She's aiding and abetting him in eluding well, arrest. Um, again, I don't. I don't think she exists. I think it's him well, with the voice changing machine. So, no, I don't, just don't want to confuse people. But, but what about? Is there? I mean, obviously, if he got life insurance policy, which you know, you don't know with this guy. I mean, he's pretty devious. He's very good on the computer. He he may be able. He maybe he was able to fraudulently get one. If, if you check his social media, Tim, he's got condolence certificates from Mayor Fung, from Langevin, <laughs> from the City of Providence. Um, I'll tell you about him. He used to call in on the radio, and many times he he would start off. And listen, you know, like sometimes you're on there's different distractions, right? And so this was appearing. Cool Keith's handing me something or something like that. And so you're not always hundred percent plugged in. So if I would say, like, you know, why didn't you ask him? This guy could go zero to 60 as far as temper. Like, just, like, why? Like, he would just explode out of nowhere with rage <laughs> and tell these wild stories about what happened with BCYF. Um, Tim Dodd, this is, this is a dangerous individual. It, it sure sounds like he's going to have some serious legal problems back here in the States. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I do remember. And, you know, the, the now that he's coming back um, to life, literally and figuratively. Yeah. When they ran his obituary in, in the pro show. Yeah. He had a quote in there. Fear not and run towards the bliss of the sun. Which, <laughs> you know, it's like a megalomania. It um, is. It's really um, an odd you know, if you were a psychiatrist analyzing this guy, I think there's a lot of material there. There is. And Tim, just so we understand with people that this is not going to be um, a, a, a quick 
process. I mean, it, it, it's not murder, but it, it is amazing that in Utah, they're claiming, I think it was, they have his DNA yes. from a sex assault case. So apparently, not knowing all the details, but he's in Scotland and a month ago comes down with COVID. And then he's using a different name. I think it was is Vic, Victor Rossi instead of his, his real right. name. But he, it, it would seem as if because of him getting COVID, possibly, I mean, we don't have all the details yet, but possibly having to be hospitalized, that somehow somebody, I mean, we don't, there's a lot we don't know, but it sure sounds as though that's what did him in that, that put them, put him on the radar uh, of the authorities in Utah. It's, it's curious and one doesn't know what's happening in Scotland, but how Scotland figured out who this guy was and was able to report his location, you know, unless, you know, hospitals around Europe have been given this guy's uh, mugshot. (laughs) Right. Some guy shows up for any reason and you're not sure about his true identity, cross check him against this guy. I'm really not sure how, um, international police enforcement uh, works, but the had hospitals may have been screening for if they had yep. somebody with a curious, you know, an unverifiable identity. Um, but or it, it, it's just it's great police work. He, it is guys on um, fugitives on the run, and in this case, he is, even though he faked his own death. But the thing that always concerns them is is some point that they may need medical care. And when Whitey Bulger was the notorious, you know, gangster from Boston, when he was hang, hiding out in Santa Monica, he would go down along Santa Monica because of the weather and so forth. There's a big homeless population. And he would scout out, try to find homeless people that he felt kind of resembled him in some way, maybe the same age, sewing build, you know, just kind of resembled a little bit. And he would offer the money for their, he, like, I'll give you $500 for your license or whatever it was. Because he knew at some point he might have to go into the hospital. And he wanted the, their ID to be able to show. So I think it's interesting. Bulger was able to stay on the run until that woman, you know, they, they went after, if you remember, they went after the girlfriend. Um, and, and they started putting her photo out. And and it was a woman, that woman in Iceland that used to spend... Um, winters in in santa monica and then she'd go to iceland in the summertime but she recognized the woman with with bulger because of the woman had cats and she was a big animal lover and and so forth so but it's it's interesting to meet tim dodd it's the medical thing that you know you can hide for a while and he was like we don't know yet how did he get to scotland how did he get a passport how did he get out of the country but um but boy this this is a fascinating story and then now, Tim Dodd, we don't know, though, if this is going to bring him back to Rhode Island, because un- unless there's something else, I believe that he's got fraud charges against him in Ohio. And, and I think there's a could be a sexual assault charge there. The FBI in Ohio definitely were looking for him. The Utah situation is also he's in trouble in Utah as well. Yes. If there's anything in Rhode Island, I think would be low on the totem pole in terms yeah. of which jurisdiction gets him first. And when he does come back, I'm sure he'll have a very colorful defense and an alibi, and he'll have a story to tell mm. uh, in a defense and to provide that he didn't do these things. I mean, I'm sure it will be colorful and, you know, in the way that we look at these things, somewhat entertaining. Yeah. The, there was one, one more for the break. Uh, there is someone, I won't say who it is, but he, this person knew him. It was the first person to tell me. I'm telling you, I think that guy's alive. There's something about this doesn't add up. He's a real con man. He showed up, get out of Ohio, showed up at the Rhode Island State House in a stretch limousine, said he had struck it big somehow, made a fortune. That was all money that I think he got from the credit cards. Took a couple of people from the State House out to dinner, was like, I, you know, I've hit the big time, living large, looking to buy some property. You know, no one knew at the time that he was on the run from uh, the FBI in Ohio. But uh, I'm going to have more on that for those that are listening on the website, tobedraw.com. Tim, I was just looking when the story broke on um, in my, my Twitter. I'm going to try to save all the messages. These You want to talk about long, rambling, manifest. He hated Parker Gavigan of NBC10. 
He despised Tom Moody of the Providence Journal. We like phys- would call the media outlets demanding they do the story on the death and the whole thing. I mean, just a real psychopath. So um, <laughs> it is it is comical, though. But this has all the makings of a movie. It does. Folks, quick break. Interesting also about Scotland in, in the movie Heat, when Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer and um, yeah, Val, uh, they're going to escape all these bank robberies the place they were going to go and hide out was scotland for some reason so there's there's something there maybe they feel that they can hide a little bit better um folks quick break a lot more attorney tim dodd right here on the john DePietro show propane plus for heating and cooling call propane plus today in massachusetts 508-252-3359 in rhode island propane plus number 401 885-4209. It's the Johnson family. It's Propane Plus, the leading full-service provider of propane to Rhode Island and Southeastern Mass. Not only can they install your tank and schedule propane deliveries, but they can service your entire heating, cooling system, and install any propane or natural gas appliances. Locations in East Greenwich and also in Rehoboth. Remember, Propane Plus is energy for everyone. It's affordable, sustainable, equitable, Good for the environment, and also now it's renewable. Online at propaneplus.com, Propane Plus, heating and cooling. In Massachusetts, call the Rehoboth office, 508-252-3359, and in Rhode Island, 401-885-4209. You can depend on Propane Plus. We're speaking with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, I just want to touch on... Attorney General Peter Narona is um, certainly feeling the heat and the, still the aftermath of the 17-year-old Olivia Passeretti case from East Greenwich. He, he appeared on Channel 12. Now, um, Olivia's mom and her stepfather are, we started doing some interviews this week, and they're upset. They want to have the laws changed, maybe try to help someone else. But they, they're intent on, in their minds, that this – tragedy that took place new year's even news day should be a murder case uh to me attorney general Nerona, to his credit seems to be threading the needle not shutting the door on it saying the investigation is still open um but he he is not on board as of yet it sounds like he's not ready to rule it out but unless there's something drastic that changes it it just seems to be a very sensitive case and no one wants to come out just yet and say the high hurdle they would have in, in, in trying to get that charge. Yes. And, and you have to feel, obviously feel for um, the mom and the stepdad. And I think that they're out front saying that um, our daughter was murdered. Um, murder is a legal definition. I'm not sure the facts of this case will uh, warrant a murder charge, but by them being out there and they're certainly very sympathetic folks and it's a tragic situation, you know, Nerona has got to address it. It's got to say something about it from a political standpoint and from a humanitarian standpoint. Um, there's plenty of time to up the charges. Yeah. This, this guy is in jail. He's not going anywhere. Um, it's going to take a long time for a case like this to get to trial. If it ever did get to trial, um, the courts are way backed up, criminal cases, civil cases with COVID and everything else going on. So th- nothing's going to happen quickly. And, you know, th- the state police will do, I'm sure, a very thorough investigation. As we've discussed before, um, all along the state highways, there's camera systems, um, there's recording um, devices. The quality of the video that you get is pretty good. I'm sure they're scouring this guy's social media. You have been putting that out on your website yeah. or, or, or Twitter about all of his postings, more so than even what you've seen in like the daily newspapers. Um, and I'm sure there's more. I'm sure they've confiscated his computers, his cell phone, and everything else about him to see if they can find something that would... Um, demonstrate a premeditation that he was going to get out on the highway he was going to get drunk or utilize drugs and he was going to take somebody out with his vehicle if there's something more overt out there um, they might be able to put it together Um, 
remembering that with criminal cases, you've got to prove it by um, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Yep. So was this a drunk guy who lost control of his vehicle? Um, did he have the real intent? Did he have the intent the day before, but he didn't have the intent at the time he was driving? Um, you know, intent is something that needs to be present at the time. I think it's going to be very difficult um, to show that he intended to kill somebody at the time he did it. You know, a, a generalized um, feeling that you want to go out on the road and kill somebody is different than did he intend at that moment to hit that car and right. to force that girl off the road. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the state might have a hard time with that legal hurdle. Um, was he on his cell phone? Was he talking to somebody minutes before saying, right. I'm ready to do it? I mean, it really yeah. depends what kind of quality of evidence they can come up with. Sure. Peter, Peter's not going to show his cards. He's going to let the state police do their job and his prosecutors review the evidence. And I'm sure if he can up the charges, he w- certainly will. Um, you know, and this guy, even in a plea bargain situation, you know, he's got a astonishing long criminal yeah. record and he's looking at serious time. This is not some you know, person with no prior record who has a bad night out there, drank way too much, had a bad accident and killed somebody right. who's never been in trouble before. This is not that guy. This is a no. bad guy. Yeah. I had a, a member of law enforcement say that, uh, you know, if you're Segura, the accused, that there's no way you're going to trial in this case. No, you I can't. Mean, the I mean, they, say, right, saying, oh, yeah, I want to see this guy go into court and there's the picture of the 17-year-old girl. Like, so whatever's going to happen, this officer's assessment, he thinks it happens that they're going to have to reach some agreement, meaning the defendant may not like what he's offered, but there's no way you're going to trial on this one. No, he's looking at north of 10 years to serve, I would think, in any plea bargain situation, for sure. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal expert, Tim Dodd. And Tim, before the break, I do want to touch on, I have a feeling we are going to be talking about this, but this is an interesting case that's coming up, and that is... After it's several years ago, but Sarah Palin, to her credit, she is not backing down. And Tim Dodd, she is unless something changes, she's dragging the New York Times into court. And the New York Times, this is as we know, it doesn't happen that often, but they're going to have to defend themselves against Sarah Palin in this defamation suit. Yeah, and it might get a little stickier for the New York Times than one would think. the, the, the very brief backstory is that Sarah Palin had a, um, I believe it was a political action committee. And in their ads, uh, part of their logo, if you will, was the crosshairs, you know, of the sighting um, part of, of a weapon. And this um, editorial writer for the Times analogized um, Sarah Palin using the crosshairs uh, in her political um, action ads to the shooting of Congressman Gabby Giffords. And the statement was that, you know, by using the crosshairs and analogizing it to Gifford made the point that, you know, the rhetoric, quote, the rhetoric of demonization and whether it incites people to this kind of violence so basically saying by Sarah Palin using the crosshairs in an ad for her uh, pack that it was um, inciting people to violence and doing things like shooting Gabby Giffords. Now, that's a preposterous stretch. Um, the next day, the, the Times issued a retraction. But with public figures, it's well established with public figures, for a public figure to sue for uh, slander or for libel, um, actual malice must be shown. So you can say a lot of things about public figures, but you've got to show actual malice. And a lot of what's going to happen in this case is really getting into the editorial room of the um, New York Times. What did they know? What did they discuss? Apparently, there were other um, writers for the Times who were um, urging this guy not to run that piece because what he was suggesting right. was inconsistent with the truth. That's right. Now, 
if he's been told what you're about to write is inconsistent with the truth and you can't make the leap between a crosshair and an ad and suggesting that that ad incites people to shoot congresswomen or others, that can't be the actual malice that has to be shown. And yeah. if a jury determines that that was actual malice, if this editorial writer wrote this maliciously, knowing that it was an unreasonable and incorrect conclusion and did so with the intent to harm Sarah Palin, then she's got a case. So mm. it's not it's not a usual thing for public no. public figure cases to make it to a trial um, because the standard is so difficult to show actual malice. Um, the judge who's going to be trying this case um, has said this will go to trial. It's yes. probably going to go to trial. I would think maybe in the summer. Um, he's booking courtrooms for it. He's you know weighing versus the pandemic but sarah palin is going to get a trial against the times Ooh. and one would think it will be a national story right oh, now yeah. it's been wow. kind of below the radar screen <laughs> i if forgot you will. yeah that's right the code no they remember the club all right folks quick break a lot more attorney tim dodd right here on the john DePietro show brothers disposal call brothers disposal today get a purple dumpster for your driveway how do you know it's brother's disposal because it's a purple dumpster look for them on facebook and give them a call for an estimate 401-688-0517 get a dumpster in your driveway maybe you're cleaning out your basement your garage unwanted belongings maybe you just have some things in boxes that you've never taken out clean it out with brother's disposal they're also now offering weekly trash collection services call brother roland today at brother's disposal 401 401- Six eight eight zero five one seven. Whether it's a small household construction project or you just need a dumpster to get rid of some unwanted belongings, call Brothers Disposal today. Come on, brother. Call Brothers Disposal, 401-688-0517. Look for them on Facebook, Brothers Disposal. Get a dumpster in your driveway, 401-688-0517. We're speaking with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, this next story is, is really astounding, and, and I can understand why police in New York are upset about this. New Yorkers are, are upset about this. But the Manhattan District Attorney, who was just elected, by the way, Alvin Bragg has announced he will not prosecute certain crimes, including, all right, marijuana. Now, granted, whether it's Massachusetts or Rhode Island, cops will tell you that's not something they bring somebody in for if there's like a small amount. Misdemeanors, including selling more than three ounces. Not paying public transportation fare. In New York, that's big because of the subway jumpers. But Tim Dodd, it also goes into resisting arrest and prostitution. Now, police will tell you many times when they're trying to question someone, if you don't arrest them for resisting arrest, that that can sometimes be a green light that they become more aggressive with the police. And they're not going to arrest anyone on prostitution, which, you know, certainly could bring New York back to life. But um, this is uh, pretty dramatic, Tim Dodd, that he the He's announcing, especially the mayor saying he's going to, you know, declare war on crime. This is going in the opposite direction. Well, it's interesting because the new mayor, Eric Adams, has declared this war on crime. He's a former cop. He wants to sound like a tough guy. But at the same time, I think during the campaign season, he had said that he and Alvin Bragg were of a like mind on, you know, um, uh, prosecuting um, a certain um, criminal activity. So he's done nothing to distance himself from what this guy, Alvin Bragg wants to do. Um, this by way of a little background, Alvin Bragg's campaign was heavily financed by George Soros. Soros uh. likes candidates who basically are looking to destabilize society. I, yeah. I see no other way to look at it. So if you want someone who's going to continue to break down the fabric of society and be a destabilizing force, New York City's now got it. Now, Shaman the electorate for putting this guy in. I mean, what, what were they thinking that they would vote for a guy who's not going to prosecute crimes? And I think the one that stands out is not prosecuting for resisting arrest. So as we've said many times, all of these tragic cases where um, – 
people get shot and killed by cops, you know, and is it a racial thing? Is it a legitimate arrest? You know, it, it creates all sorts of upheaval in the public and in the press. Almost every one of those cases starts with the uh, presumed defendant resisting arrest. And it, right. from there it escalates. Yeah. So this, this new Alvin Bragg uh, oh. DA is greenlighting criminals to say, go out there and resist arrest because we're not yeah. going to prosecute you. That's right. And if I was wow. a cop, I would be absolutely cool. furious. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the police union can do, but of all of the things that he's not going to prosecute, that's the one that really stands out as yeah. being a, a, an unforgivable um, decision on, on the, the DA's part. You know, the, the subway jumpers, that's a problem. I mean, right. but uh, let it's, not a, it's not a crime yeah. of violence. Right. You know, no one's going to get necessarily injured or certainly yeah. not killed because somebody jumps the turnstile. But the resisting is a significant crime that puts yep. police at significant rest, risk. It's a significant um, um, concern for public safety generally. Folks, again, we're speaking with our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, in New York City, they, uh, Bill de Blasio started this. Eric Adams, uh, he's not stopping it, but this is supposed to be 800,000 illegals living in New York City are now going to be allowed to vote in municipal elections. And thank God, but the New Yorker Republicans have filed a lawsuit seeking to block that, that law. What, what it, at first blush, what do you make of the lawsuit that the New York Republicans have filed? Well, I, I, I think that it's meritorious and they're in, in the main um, suggesting or arguing that this um, ordinance in New York City is unconstitutional to have foreign nationals voting in municipal elections. Um, it, it, it boggles the mind that this would be, I understand why the legislation was um, um, sought by certain elements of the political class because they're presuming these 800,000 uh, voters will vote in a particular way, right. uh, which will favor certain candidates. I think the theory of allowing these people to vote is, well, you know, they work even if they're working in a shadow economy and they pay taxes and they buy things. So they're, they're contributing to the economy and they use the services of the government, you know, be it, you know, social programs and the like. So they should have a say in how all of this stuff operates. And I personally completely disagree with that rationale that since you're here and since you're using the system, and even if you're paying taxes on things that you purchase, um, that that gives you a sufficient skin in the game that you should be a voter. Um, you can't get around the fact that it's unconstitutional for foreign nationals to be voting in our elections. It's That's crazy. Right. And yeah. if, if they don't stop it here, I, I know in other places, you know, uh, I think in Oregon, San Francisco, they're looking to do similar things, which is completely destabilizing. What are the taxpayers supposed to do when they're outvoted by people who aren't even legally here? It's crazy. Uh, but portion of the program brought to you by the Coesed Inn. Check them out on the website, depetro.com, the Coesed Inn, or Rhode Island tradition since 1977, located 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, whether it's lunch or dinner or drinks in the lounge, whether a nice dinner or even just appetizers. There's always a great crowd. You can link directly to them, and gift certificates are available. The Coesed Inn, 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. We're speaking with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, I want to just ask you about, this isn't really a story, but this posting uh, only in Boston, Massachusetts is the first state to bar employers from asking about an applicant's salary history of previous jobs for making a job offer. In addition, businesses can cannot forbid workers from discussing their salaries with each other. Um, this is, you know, all we're hearing about is shortage of workers, but what, what about what should people either employers or those looking for jobs know about just those particular areas i know in the past you know you can't ask someone uh you can't ask how old they are certainly can't ask about maybe sexual lifestyle preference and so forth but what about they, they can't ask about what someone 
need uh, at a previous job. Yeah, um, Massachusetts just put this into effect, I think, as of the first of the year. They're one of a very few states that has such a statutory scheme. Uh, Massachusetts joins Delaware, Puerto Rico, Oregon, and simply New York City. Those are the jurisdictions which have a similar um, legislative scheme. In theory, it's supposed to be so that an employer can't ask a woman about her previous um, salary. Um, The theory being that there's a disparity in what women get paid versus what men get paid. So if women don't have to divulge what they made at a past job, then the employer can't factor in that in making an offer which might be lower than what would be offered to a man um, who is looking for the same position. So it's allegedly um, so that the past lower salaries of women and minorities won't follow them through their change of jobs. Disadvantage because employers will have the information, hey, this person was making less at the last job, so I don't have to offer them such a big, you know, bump in salary. Um, the theory is that your offer should be uh, blind as to the issue of sex. And if the job is to do X, Y, and Z, whether a man or a woman applies for it, the salary should be X and it shouldn't vary whether it's a man or a woman or, yep. or whatever. So in theory, it's good. Um, I think employers have to be really careful because if they're not aware of this uh, new law and they ask what's been a traditional question, they could find themselves before the Commission for Human Rights or otherwise sued. And the notion, <laughs> the notion of um, saying that you can't bar um, workers from comparing what they're earning um, I don't think such a provision would have ever been enforceable. I can't imagine. I'm not aware of any employer that says you can't discuss what you're earning with anyone else. I mean, yeah. some people may not want to share that, but um, now Massachusetts has a law that says an employer can't keep the employees from trading notes on what they're earning, which seems axiomatic, but now it's a law. Prince Andrew, uh, the year is off to, a very bad start, There's Lane Maxwell and so forth. What? Where? Where is all of this leading, Tim Dodd, with Prince Andrew regarding this court battle with this girl that makes accusations that Jeffrey Epstein set them up? She was forced to sleep with the prince uh, several times, and boy, th- this is a battle that uh, it's a story here. It's really a huge story, as you can imagine, in London. Well, yeah, as we, I think we spoke about this a week ago that yeah. I was quite confident that the judge would not dismiss the case based upon that general release that uh, Virginia Gouffre signed way back when. Um, she got a half million dollars from Epstein and the release had language saying that she releases Epstein and any other person, attorney, employee, agent, servant, or other individual who could have been you know, culpable for the events for which she was getting the 500,000 bucks. The court ruled that the language was too vague, that it's impossible to determine who was in that class of others who could have been um, beneficiaries of the language in the release. There's no way to know if Prince Andrew was intended to be a release party or not so that the court wouldn't let him out. And that's pretty predictable and pretty standard. So her case moves on. And um, the real question next will be, will Andrew show up for trial or not? If he shows up for trial, it's a story around the world. If he doesn't show up for trial, then she'll uh, put on her case alleging damages. The suit is for sexual abuse and sexual battery, and she's looking for money damages. This is not criminal. This is civil. She wants money. Um, And if he does not present before the court to offer his defense, he'll be defaulted, she'll get a judgment against him, and then she will have to, and I'm not even sure you can do it against the royals, she'd have to get 
um, there's a way to enforce foreign judgments in other jurisdictions and other countries. She'd have to domesticate her judgment for whatever she gets financially in England and, and chase uh, um, Andrew around for um, an attempt to grab some of his assets or his money Ooh. or his real estate or whatever. Wow. Um, that could be a real challenge because I candidly don't know what sort of protections from judgments or civil liability the royals have. I, I don't right. know. Um, I would think the queen might be exempt, but I can't believe her extended family is. So Andrew's got a problem and yes. it's going to be an embarrassment for him and for the royal family. Oh. One would think he would try to settle this thing, but now if he settles it, you know, the specter would be for those who care about what Prince Andrew does. Oh, he must have done this because he paid her off. That's right. Our final story. Now, this is interesting, Tim Dodd, because on Friday it's the deadline. Mayor Lorza said that the Providence police officers need to get the, the vaccine or he claims they're going to fire them, even though it doesn't really make sense because now people are learning, even if you get the vaccine, you could still get COVID. But what do you make of the city council now has scheduled to vote to block the firings from uh, the Alorza vaccine? I think what the city council is doing is, is absolutely appropriate. What yeah. Alorza wants to do with this uh, mask mandate, excuse me, with the uh, vaccine mandate, you got to show that you've had at least one dose of any of these vaccines or you're going to be terminated. Some of the statistics are that about 20% of the Providence police force is not vaccinated. The city can't have 20% of its officers fired. That would create bedlam, I would yeah. think, in terms of law enforcement. Um, there's no rational relationship, especially as we're seeing what this um, variant does in terms of illness and how it evades the vaccines that are available anyways, there's no rational relation to this mandate and the threat of firings. Um, I know the police union is trying to work with the administration. That's not going anywhere. No. Um, even if the city council um, um, enacts this ordinance to block the mayor, there'll be a window where the mayor could, if he had the intestinal fortitude, start firing people because the If they do so, then Alorza can veto it, and then the council would have to override his veto by two-thirds. Now, as that process is playing out, will Alorza follow firing people, or will he hold his fire until this whole political uh, exercise plays out? You know, Alorza, like many other politicians, has threatened to fire people. Gina right. Raimondo used to threaten to people were going to be arrested and fined. That's right. And all yeah. of these threats were su usually sufficient to um, cow the, uh, the yeah. intended population into compliance. Right. Um, I'm not so sure cops are going to be cowed into compliance. I think their union's pretty strong. They're going to fight back. And hopefully, either through the city council or if somebody should file a lawsuit, this would be determined to be um, an overreach in terms of the mayor's power. It's completely unnecessary. It doesn't follow the science. It's no rational relationship to what's going on in the current environment. Um, it makes no sense. Folks, he is our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, great job as always. Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you again. You too, John. Take care.